Excellent. Yeah, no, Scott and I do share the same birthday. Um, obviously, he's had a lot more experience with that date than I have. Um, only a little bit more, but um, no, I was that little bratty teenager who used to um, come to Musos, and Scott was running uh, the music team at uh, Imaginations Church, and I was that kid who was always praying about, who was not committed, who was always late when I was there, um, never took it seriously, and uh, I really appreciate, Scotty, that uh, all this time you're still talking to me, and I'm uh, probably still praying, <laughs> a lot of time in that crying room just over me, but... Uh, We've had a lot of life together, which is why I really, you know, Elise and I both wanted Scott to do the dedication today, and it means a lot that you could do that. And um, my wife and kids just want to honour them as well, and I've got plenty of friends and family over there in the back section, um, and my parents are here as well, somewhere, unless they couldn't find a park. Where are we? Yes, there we go, my beautiful mum, who's been my biggest support my whole life. So, And actually, um, it's interesting, every year mum sends me a text on the day that I was dedicated as a baby. I have no idea what that date is, but I know you probably do, Mum. <laughs> um, but as a parent, it means a lot more, doesn't it? And um, so today's a pretty special day. But uh, Elise and I, we've been on a bit of a journey in the last six months, uh, a bit of a faith journey. Um, I think, realistically, we could probably call it, it's just God bringing us back into alignment of what he would have for us for our life. And um, James sums it up nicely in, in one um, verse 2 to 8, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Who loves that verse? I don't. It's horrible. <laughs> but it says, But for you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in all they do. That's a really easy verse to preach, but it's a really hard one to live. You know, consider it great joy when you are persecuted. I don't think anyone here would put their hand up today for that. I don't think anyone here would you know, be looking for those opportunities, but it's definitely a part of the life we live. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the writer goes into great definition. It talks about faith being the assurance of things we hope for and the evidence of things unseen. And in chapter 12, they continue by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the race with perseverance and endurance. We know that endurance has come from our faith. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it's seated at the right hand of the Father. That verse stood out a lot to me at the start of the year. In other versions, it says the, uh, the pioneer and perfecter or the author and perfecter of our faith. So God challenged me at the start of this year, walking around the river, and this verse dropped into my mind, and he just said to me, Steve, who's authoring your faith? Who's the author? Of your faith? Who's writing your story? And I had to really think about it because I know God's the perfecter of my faith. I know since a young kid that God has perfected my faith. But I realize that in a lot of my life, I've been the one authoring the journey. I've been a Christian for 35 years now, and uh, I'm still learning a lot about God and myself. And today I just want to share a few thoughts that have been a part of that journey and some of the things that's challenged us recently and that I've been changed by. 
In Philippians 3 verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. This morning, over the next few minutes, I think maybe God wants to speak to a couple of people here that just even that verse alone would give you a little bit of freedom. Not that I've already attained this, but I press on. You know, we've got a couple of things that we can remind ourselves all the time in that God's mercies are new every day and his grace is enough. Those two verses alone, that God's mercies are new and grace is enough, is enough for us to get started today on a journey I think that God's calling us to. We're going to pray before we get into it. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for today and everything you've already done, but we just ask that our ears will be open, our hearts will be ready for what you want to speak to us today, God. I just pray over these next few minutes as I share a couple of thoughts that it'll be your words, Jesus, speaking to us. I pray you would challenge us and grow us and stretch us in our faith. And when we leave here today, Lord, we are not just equipped with some more verses, but I pray that there'll be a fervor, there'll be something excited and coming alive in us, Lord, that when we leave here today, we understand that we're leaving here with a direction from you, an empowerment from you. And we just dedicate these next few moments to you in your mighty name. Amen. You know, growing up in church, um, I've been in Imaginations Church since I was 10, um, so that's a long time. And we hear a lot of words like revival, especially growing up, revival and um, things like movements, that God wants to do a movement. And when you hear that a lot as a kid, it really stirs your faith. But what I found after 35 years is there was kind of a bit of a numbing of that word for me. We pray for it all the time and we would invest into it and you'd be in hours of prayer meetings and we believe for things to change in our city and our youth and our schools, our families. But a lot would carry on without change. We'd keep having these prayer meetings and we were wondering when was, when was God going to do a revival? When was this movement that God was going to do happen in our life? And as I got a bit more mature as a Christian, in other words, as the years got on, I found myself kind of subconsciously replacing those faith statements for faith for the impossible then just with stewardship of the possible. How can I manage what God's put in my life? I started replacing the reliance of power and his presence for the dependability of preaching and programs, giving it all a life that's miraculous to giving enough for a life that's manageable. The two verses that God gave me at the start of the year which really brought my faith back alive, and it's Hebrews 1, 11, 6, and it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. And James 2, 17, Faith without works, faith without actions is dead. When I realised that I'd inadvertently authored the own death of my faith, I thought, well, who am I living for? If my faith isn't active and it's not doing anything in my life, and it takes faith to please God, then who am I living for as a Christian? What's the focus of my Christian life? And I hate to admit it, but I realised, had an awakening that I pretty much am living this for me. And now my heart was in the right place and I honoured God with everything I did, but my actions and the way I viewed everything realised that I'm pretty much living a life for me. But 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says, To this end we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfil every result for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified for you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says it this way, 
So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. And may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. In James 2, we hear about faith without works is dead. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. By someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. I will say, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That word that was talking about, the Greek word is ergon, which means to work or to literally have act, action, labor, to do something. Faith without works, we're not just talking about metaphorical things, we're just saying actual works. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 14 when he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. You shall do greater works. I think somewhere along the line of Western churches, the spiritual Chinese whispers has changed that verse a little bit for us. And we kind of think about it as you will learn greater things. But Jesus models it in Matthew 9. We've got a bit of context. He heals a woman from a disease. He raises a girl from the dead. heals a blind man. Casts out a demon. He's doing all these works in chapter 9 and the Pharisees are furious with him. And in verse 35, we read this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He had healed every kind of disease and illness. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers. I find it really interesting when I read that verse that Jesus didn't pray for leaders or intercessors or theologians or preachers or teachers or planners or prophets or strategists. Not that those things are bad. They need that for the church. The church relies on those things and they're such an amazing calling in their own. But when it came to lost people, Jesus prayed for one thing and he said, we need workers. Pray for people who would simply get up in the morning ready to do something. Can you imagine if you called your boss tomorrow morning? Let him know that you're earnestly seeking God and praying for someone to come in, fulfill all your roles and duties. And you believe wholeheartedly in the vision and direction so much of the company, you've also had several meetings to rally others to pray that your task would not just be done, but be done exceptionally. You'd be fired tomorrow morning. It's like, bro, where are you? I've been praying that someone would fulfill those duties. No, that's your role, right? So it sounds stupid in that context, but I know that I've spent thousands of prayer meetings praying for lost people and probably very few times going out and sharing my faith with them. And now as a pastor for years, um, that's really embarrassing and I, I feel a lot of shame in that, that I would easily preach a message like this but was very reluctant to go out because I thought, oh, that's probably my role as a pastor. My role is to teach. Jesus makes it very clear that all our roles, we just need workers. We need people who are going to love people and go and share their faith. Peter's story in, uh, in Acts 12, he's locked in prison. I love this story. It says, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. I don't know how that guy was asleep. If I was ready to be on trial the next day, I would not be sleeping. Gets better. He said, fasten with two chains between two soldiers. So here's Peter, fast asleep, probably snoring, chained to two soldiers waiting for a trial the next morning. 
Others stood guard the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time thought this was a vision. He didn't realize that was actually happening. They passed the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him and Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and what the Jewish leaders had planned him to do. As a, growing up in a missions church, we have a, had a lot of opportunities as young people to go on missions trips and um, one of the, probably the most passionate missions person I know in my life is sitting just there, Nathan Varlow. You probably know him as a handy right winger for your soccer team back in the day. But um, me and Nathan grew up doing missions and my first missions trip I had the privilege of going to Africa. And uh, it was a very whirlwind trip. I got asked on a Friday night, I think it was, uh, Steve, there's a trip to Africa, there's a spare spot, do you want to go? And I said, oh, that's crazy. I'd just been married for a few months. And he goes, just left to let me know by Sunday. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I went home and I said to Elise, what do you think? And she said, go. So Sunday I booked it in and in August went to Africa. And I remember being there and my first missions trip and we think we're going because we have something to offer or God's going to bless us to do something awesome. And you realise very quickly when you get there, man, I think God's sending me to learn some stuff. And the two people that they paired us to, what we were doing is preaching in prisons in Africa, going rural. And the two young guys they put us with, their name were Paul and Silas. And I thought, that's got to be a joke. That can't be real. But they were. I did some background checks. And these young guys took us into prisons. And I remember walking in and um, unsure, first mission trip, not sure what God wanted to do, kind of a bit scared and apprehensive about what it's going to look like. And um, one of the guys said straight to the head guard, he said, you will know that Jesus is real. By the time we leave today, it'll be pouring rain. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it had been a drought for years. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. We're only going to be there for an hour. And I was getting nervous. I'm like, well, that's a big statement to make. I was thinking about praying for some people. We bought them some beds. We're going to cook a barbecue. Thinking practically. And he led with, you will know Jesus is real. It'll be raining. I remember sort of in faith looking up and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And an hour later, we ran from that building in torrential rain. The sky was black. It was pouring. Our van got stuck in the mud trying to get out. They pushed us out. And 20 minutes later, the rain had stopped. Sky had cleared. And I remember just sitting there thinking, Where's my faith at? That was an absolute miracle. The very next day, I went to a different prison, and he walked in, he said, you will know. I'm like, oh, we're not doing this again, are we? <laughs> Don't push our luck. And an hour later, it was pouring rain. We barely got out of that prison. I remember God just seeing incredible things. A couple of years ago in Cambodia, I saw a deaf man completely healed just by praying. In Nairobi, being in a mission strip, and four o'clock in the morning, the call to prayer starts up and all the speakers around the city start pumping music. And I remember in the middle of a prayer meeting at four in the morning, one of the guys just said, in Jesus' name, silence. And the whole city fell silent while we could finish our 10-minute prayer meeting. Just seeing God do miracles. Demons cast out in India, healings in Indonesia. But every one of these mission trips started the same way that Peter's journey did in that story. I woke up, got up, put on some clothes and shoes, grabbed my coat, and just follow Jesus. There was nothing incredible about those stories beforehand. It just started like every other day with a bit of faith 
doing my normal routine. What stands out to me in Peter's story is three, three very powerful words. And it says, and he did. You know, for my life, I think, how much stuff have I missed out on when God's spoken something to me? An opportunity's been there, and I haven't responded with those three words, and he did. I wonder if today, what if we scheduled what God had said to us in our calendar and not just wrote it down in a journal? I've got a lot of books of just things that God spoke about that I've just written down. I thought, that would be an amazing sermon. I could preach that. I could share that. It becomes messages that I tell other people to do, but things I've never acted on. What if we shared about God, what God spoke to us to strangers and not just believers? What if we realised that God is providing resources to be a blessing and not just be blessed? I love how Mark was just talking about your generosity as a church, and I've seen that in Mark as well, and Scotty. I've seen it modelled here beautifully. What if we all understood that full-time ministry was not being the pastor of a church, but just waking up, getting dressed, putting on shoes and clothes? It's a very important part of it. Grabbing your coat and following him out the door. I worked on staff at Imaginations Church for eight years, and I can honestly say that this last year and a half of, of being at Kingswood High School full-time feels more like full-time ministry than I've ever experienced in my life. Is there anything glorious or spiritual about it? No, I'm just waking up, going to work, putting on my bulletproof vest, <laughs> and just saying, God, what could you do today through me? We had the awesome privilege the last couple of weeks of being in America, 48 degrees. It's a, it's a beautiful heat and came home to freezing Sydney. But um, I was talking with one of the guys over there about the bit of a history of, of um, America. They're very passionate about their politics and all the things that are going on and there's a lot happening in America at the moment, so a lot of discussion about it. But we started talking about the, the big five great spiritual awakenings that have happened in America over the last couple of hundred years. And one of them that came to, we are just talking about, was um, D.L. Moody, an incredible preacher who started this revival and uh, was classed as the third great awakening in American history. But what we know from, from D.L. Moody's work is he started as a, uh, just running Bible studies with kids. And eventually became so big that Abraham Lincoln himself wanted to sit personally in one of these Bible studies and travel to see him. And uh, there's a Bible school today that preaches to about 100 million people a year based on D.L. Moody's work. Um, there's a, a minister, um, this proves my point exactly, Edward Kimball. Hardly anyone would probably know that name, Edward Kimball. He based his meetings off what D.L. Moody used to do. And in one of his meetings, there was a young man called Billy Graham that got saved. And we think about these people in history in light of, of the church and what God has done in, in our history as well. And we think these are incredible things. But when you do a bit of research, I love the fact that D.L. Moody's story was incredible. But how it started, there was a young man who was a Sunday school teacher. And God put on his heart one day to go down to the local shoe shop. And there was a young boy working there called D.L. Moody. And he asked him to go and share his faith and his testimony. That's the only thing you'll ever find recorded about. Mr. Kimball, just like every other day, waking up, God put something on his heart and he was just faithful to doing it, went down and shared his face with a young boy, got him saved, and now we read in history about people like Billy Graham, D.L. Moody. Sometimes we, we wonder if God's going to put this huge um, you know, spiritual covering on everything we do, but reality is day to day, 
It's more about our journey with God and just saying, God, what do you have for me today? Imagine our, our history, imagine our world if that young man wasn't faithful to the, not a big calling, just something simple to do. He woke up, put his stuff on, went down and spoke to one young boy. And that's all history we recall of Mr. Kimball, that it changed our life forever. Don't underestimate the obedience of a simple task given by God, carried out with faith and expectancy in his power. Because we don't know what we do locally, the impact it's going to have globally. Now, being in Penrith, working in high school, talking to some of the kids I speak to, you just think sometimes, and we all have those days, like, is this worth it? What am I actually doing? Is this having any impact at all? I will never know the impact of one conversation that I could have at that school. I will never know the impact of dropping groceries around to a family who can't eat for that week. All I know is that I'm being obedient to what God's put in my hand. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offence to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me, but I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Just simply that verse pretty much says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. In everything I do, I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. The other thing that God spoke to me about, and we'll finish with this, it was a real challenge for me. Um, I love the word. I love getting into the word. I love reading it. I love when God speaks to me through it. And in James 1, 19 to 25, he talks about our relationship with the word and it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, that you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your life and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Verse 22, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you will do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And what God spoke to me is that hearing brings challenge, but doing brings change. Hearing brings challenge. Um, I can think of a thousand conferences I've been at, big and small all around the world, and that perpetual love for the challenge. Oh man, that speaker was phenomenal. Or um, the way that spoke about this was great. And I got challenged in my faith about this and challenged by the word. And I remember even being at a um, couple of um, Hillsongs with Scotty and just talking about how God's challenged me to do all this sort of thing. And I realized though, after a long period of time, that we love the challenge. We love writing stuff down. We love when God speaks to us and challenges us. Or we hear something or see something that stirs up a faith in us. And if we're not careful, we start to think that that is the Christian experience. Man, God spoke to me and I was challenged. But that's living way less than we're ever supposed to live. Unless we do something, the word says there, unless we actually do something with it, we walk away and forget exactly what we're challenged about. Can anyone remember six weeks ago what was preached on this pulpit? I can't, obviously. <laughs> Four, four weeks ago. We'll throw four weeks. Three weeks ago. Can anyone remember what was preached three weeks ago? Now, is it a testimony to bad preaching? Absolutely not. But the reality is we get challenged in a moment, but if we don't put into action, it means nothing. 
I can tell you how to get fit, get rich, and be healthy. Am I fit? No. Am I rich? No. Am I healthy? Aiming for it. I think all of us could probably tell someone else, oh, if you want to get fit, this is all you've got to do. <laughs> Are we there? Why? Because we know it. We know how to get rich. We know how to be healthy. We know how to live well. And I think in our Christian walk, we can, if we're not careful, can be at the same point where we go, oh, I can tell you how faith works. I can tell you how God moves. I can tell you what God is able to accomplish. I can tell you our position as a Christian. But what God said to me is, are you living that, Steve? Don't deceive yourself because faith without action is dead. And in the same way, challenge without change is dead. So I'm not sure, Scotty, would you better just jump up and play something romantic on that? Always makes it a <laughs> makes what I say seem way more important. <laughs> I just want to have a bit of a moment as we finish just to see what God would say to us today. I mean, that's the point we're at church, right? Ooh, beautiful. That's why we come to church, isn't it? That we want God to speak to us. We want to know His plan for us. I stopped asking at the start of this year all the stuff that God was speaking to me about. I stopped asking big questions about things like, God, what do you want me to do? in my life because it was too frustrating never getting a response and I started solidifying that to God what do you want me to do in my day what is it that you would have me do today it's an absolute privilege to dedicate your children to God and to be here today and see Shyla. she has no idea what happened today she's just looking beautiful and we'll tell her all about it and mum will probably message dates to Shyla in the next, you know, <laughs> until she's older because I'll forget. But I remember for me, I was dedicated. Do you remember what date that was, mum? It's on the calendar, isn't it? Yeah. I don't remember the date I was dedicated, but I do remember the day that I dedicated myself to God. It's probably about 13. I was at a conference, a youth camp down in Adelaide sweating profusely I think Nath was at that one as well and I remember just having a moment and realising that in Matthew 16 Jesus says to the disciples who do people say that I am and they all had an answer some say you're Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets he said who do you say that I am and Peter had this moment with Jesus he said you are the Messiah and he said Jesus he said man did not reveal this to you but only God could reveal this to you and Peter had a moment where he had a revelation of who Jesus was. And in that moment, he got his identity, his purpose secured. And I remember for me, knowing I had a date that I was dedicated to God is important, but it all changed when I made that decision myself. Today's a very special day, but it won't be anything compared to the day that Shiloh comes to me as a young person and says, Dad, I just want to love Jesus. That's the day that's going to be in my calendar. But I hope we've all had that moment. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Not just write them down, not just memorize them, but actually live them out. And when you think about our life as a Christian, it really is quite simple to just live our faith out. Be doers and not hearers. 
And it's in that faith, it's in that small steps, it's in the obedience to what God has for us today. It's not overwhelming. It's not difficult. We don't have to have a degree. It's just understanding that, God, if you want to do something through me today, would you just speak to me what that is? And then having the courage and having the commitment and the conviction just to take a step. It's all it takes is a step. Proverbs 16, it says that man has plans in his heart, but it's God who directs his steps. And I wonder just for the next moment, if we can just close our eyes and just say, Jesus, what would you speak to us today? What things has he spoken to you in the past that you've never taken action on? What's been a challenge in your life that never became a change? Maybe God's putting a person on your heart or a place. Maybe it's adding something to the to-do list. Maybe it's starting or serving in a ministry. Maybe it's giving to someone or something. Maybe it's taking time out of your day to have a coffee with someone that you know you should have had a coffee with. Often I find in my life when God speaks to me, it's not in these big profound moments. I don't wake up chained next to two people and an angel telling me to get up and go. I just wake up like every other person still tired, (laughs) wishing I had two hours more sleep. And I start my day and say, God, what is it that you have for me? My heart today is that you would not leave here challenged, but that you would leave here changed. And I can't do that. And Jesus can't even do that. And I wonder this morning if we would make the commitment God, whatever my day looks like, it's yours. Jesus even said to his disciples, Matthew 6.33, we love this verse. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added. But the context of that verse is the very next verse, verse 34. It says, therefore, in other words, this is why that verse exists. It says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is not even guaranteed. What would God speak to you today? What does life look like tomorrow morning? Father God, we just thank you that you're speaking to us this morning. Lord, whatever it is on our heart that you're putting there, Lord, I pray for the courage to step into that. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be the author of our life, but Lord, you are the author of our life and the perfecter. Write the stories on our heart, Father God. I ask that even now, you would just be putting a task, something to do, a next step in all of us, Father God. And I wonder what a hundred people, God, could make a difference in a community, in a city, in a nation, if we would just commit to changing and not just being challenged. Lord, we've sung about it all morning, that our life is yours. We're not here just to live an experience, Father God. But I pray that when we wake up, Lord, yet you would know there is a worker ready to go, ready to be obedient, ready to be faithful, ready to step out with courage and boldness, ready to live the life that you've called us to live, a life and life abundant. And I ask right now, Lord, that dreams would start to come alive, ideas and thoughts that were once left, Father God, would start to 
be stirred back up and faith would start to stir back up or what you could do with a bit of obedience. Forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead, we press on towards the goal. In Jesus' name, amen.